Because what I usually tend to do is I usually tell, tend to tell my friends whenever they come across anyone who's um, who's motivational, who has some informative and educational information to give, that they should give me a call in relation to my podcast so I can potentially invite them over and have a chat with them. And my mates, he came across your TED Talk, which I think, when did you do the TED Talk, actually? Oh, when was that? Was that a couple of years ago? 2017. Oh, 2017. Summer, summer 2017. Oh, okay. I yeah, I think he came across your content and um, it was in relation to you talking about your book and your journey um, battling cancer and so forth. And he passed it on to me and it took me a while for me to actually get into it and actually have a look yep. at it because I get so much content from my way now. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in a podcasting world <laughs> as such. So it's, it's doing the administration and going through them. And, but when I did eventually get the time to go through yours, one thing I found out, it, even though I haven't gone through cancer myself, but I've had so many relatives that have gone through the whole process of cancer and the pain of finding out that they've been given this death sentence, as some would like to um, call it. I found it really inspirational and what inspired me the most was your strength of character and your mindset and how you decided that you weren't going to let cancer defeat you but it was a it was a change of mind and the strength that you had to take it head on in essence and that was one of the reasons why I decided to invite you and hence why you're here today but with all of that said I kind of did not almost invite you here because as I was scouring through your content as we discussed earlier I found out that you're a Spurs fan oh yes <laughs> come on you Spurs <laughs> come on you Spurs so the moment I found out you're a Spurs fan I was like gosh another Spurs fan in my house but yeah welcome Mo. it's a pleasure to have you on today so. it's, it's an honor honor yeah. to be here yeah I mean just to hit the ground straight running um, can you just tell us what is like finding out that you got cancer? Well, um, so it was December 2014. Yeah. I was told mm. it was cancer. And if I take myself back into that room, mm. my sister came with me. There was a doctor and a nurse. Yeah. And everything kind of just stopped. Mm. I heard it was cancer. And... I just wanted to initially, you know, get as much information from the doctor as possible. Mm. Yet while he was telling me, something inside me said, all my previous 10 years, mm. which we'll come on to, yeah. um, of personal development is preparing me for the biggest challenge mm. of my life. Mm. I didn't quite know what the challenge was at that moment, yeah. but it slowly started to sink in. Mm. Um, I remember leaving the hospital thinking, yeah, whatever is ahead of me, I can do. Mm. But then found myself in tears. Yeah. I didn't want to say anything to my sister. We we just randomly walked up, mm. up the high street where yeah. the hospital is. And then, yeah, as the days... And weeks went by um, when I learned the severity of my cancer because mm. at the point at that point I didn't know how bad it was. Yeah. Because I hadn't met the oncologist. Oh, so at that point, they haven't told you what stage you were in. Though. Yeah. Okay. I was just told it's cancer, mm. and that they will need to meet with the oncology team mm. to decide what the best way forward was. Yeah. And I met the oncologist a week later where he told me, you know, you have a week to do as much Googling as possible yeah. to learn. And Google always pulls up the worst yeah. case scenarios, yeah. Mm. Had two questions, what yeah. stage, what grade? Yeah. And the oncologist said, it's stage four. You have a small chance of success. 
Wow. I was 31 at the time mm. and I was shattered. Mm. They said the tumor was too big to operate. Mm. And so they were going to just put me on chemotherapy straight away. Oh, wow. And he got the consent forms to sign me up for that. And I remember thinking, what is the point of even having any treatment? Um, I was I was shattered. I was devastated. Yeah. So um, that moment you kind of giving up, assuming that there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a lot of information. It was overwhelming to take. Yeah. And in that point of signing the consent, it was like, what is the point? If I've got a small chance, mm. you know, why do I even go through chemo? Mm. But... Within that same day, I went to meet a friend of mine who is an integrative physician, yeah. which basically he's like a mind-body doctor. Mm. So not he was a trained medical doctor, but his focus is on the mind, the emotions, mm. the nutritional food, all that kind of stuff. So I went to see him mm. and he was already in my network before Dr. Kim Jobs. Yeah. And I just taught, and I and I said to him how bad the diagnosis was, and then he reminded me of of my previous communication with him, which was around the idea of will I choose to stay. Mm. Um, I connected certain dots back to previous things I heard. Yeah. Um, I was in a talk one time in a lecture and someone asked, it was a spiritual conversation and someone asked why somebody, their mother had died of mm. cancer. And the author just asked a question because they had went to see a spiritual healer yeah. who had healed them, who'd healed other people of cancer, but why it didn't work for their mother. Mm. And so the author, she just asked, did your mother choose to go? Did oh, she? Wow. And so in that moment, I remembered asking Dr. Kim, will I choose to stay? Mm. And he reminded me of that. And he said, you know, it's the words of one doctor. Your mind is more powerful than the words of one doctor. Mm. And that was kind of like mm. the focus for my diagnosis going forward. It mm. was what, what does this mean? And will I choose to stay? Yeah. So I kept asking myself those two questions almost almost every single day. But were you a holistic person before then or a spiritual person? Yeah. Okay. So you always had that sense of motivation and the power of the mind before finding out that you had cancer or did that just develop? No, that was there from about, you know, when I was 21, 22. Yeah. I kind of stumbled into that world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I call it personal development. Yeah. Some people call it self-help. Yeah. Um, but all of that is basically building my psychology mm. in terms of, you know, work situations. When something goes wrong, my focus would be, okay, so what can I do about it? Yeah. Who can I call? You know, what questions can I ask? Mm. And and that would get me into a proactive, mm -hmm. I can do this attitude. Yeah. And so when cancer came along, I'd already had 10 years of doing that on a day-to-day -day basis for mm. other kind of issues, not on a health issue, but mm. I was able to just go back to that mindset. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing that the, the power of the mind and how what we decide to do with it has an effect on our body physically as well. 
Yeah, because I mean, I've I've read loads of um, I mean, I've I've read loads of articles before how people's mindsets and how they believe in that. And so, let's say, for instance, th- there was an individual whose article I was reading, and um, this person had an illness, and they refused to believe that this illness would overcome them. So they overcame the illness, and their mindset, the positive energy that they sent through their body, helped heal them. And it's it's just amazing you telling your story in relations to how you chose not to you chose to stay you chose not to be defeated by the cancer has an impact on your journey currently so what what, what do you think the the link is between the mind and the body i mean huge link it's mm. all connected um you've probably heard the saying mind mind over matter, over matter yeah. but i think it's it's difficult because mm. f- my first year mm. of living with cancer was was brutal yeah i had chemotherapy mm. i had surgery mm. and then i had more chemo mm. but the cancer kept growing yeah and so i was doing everything i could possibly do myself in terms of mindset so yeah. all of a sudden after cancer my whole life changed whereas previously i'd wake up Mm. get ready for work, go to work, yeah. have a project to work on with a team of mm. people like my staff. Mm. Now it was just waking up and if I had the energy, go to the hospital and, mm. you know, just going through day after day because the chemotherapy was was horrible. Yeah, I, I reacted really badly to it in yeah. terms of um, fatigue and weight loss and mm. tiredness and... and so it it was mind using the psychology to get through each day mm. it was it was literally one day at a time yeah so i had to build a new set of routine and so every day would be whatever exercises i could do yeah. now i didn't have the energy to go for a run yeah. and not even go for a walk mm. so it was like what can i do and if that was just rolling my shoulders yeah, or s- yeah. stretching or some gentle yoga postures mm. if it's breathing exercises you know i'd do that for mm. like five minutes or ten minutes sometimes it was just brushing my teeth yeah. felt like an achievement for that particular day yeah. and then i'd listen to some uplifting um audio mm. clips of one of one of the personal development people yeah. that I I've listened to previously and I then read medical journals or books and so kind of like educate myself in terms of the healing mechanisms of the body how yeah. the cells work and so that's how I was filling my day to day and then mm. in a in a good week I'd be able to go out for a walk and just meet up with a friend mm in a coffee shop and so it was using my mind for like daily practical daily stuff practice. yeah oh, amazing but um so b- before cancer who was mo like what was your life what was your life like i mean what was some of the stuff you used to do that cancer completely eradicated from your life so going to the gym <laughs> or yeah. going for a run mm. that you know that was something i'd always look forward to because mm. I loved running, Um, spending time with my family, Mm. work, friends. And all of a sudden, I can't go for a run anymore. Mm. And I I still can't go for a run. Mm. Um, And I think that's that's like the biggest. And then 
the other stuff, you know, I've always been a Spurs fan. <laughs> so <laughs> these were the beef stuffs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, it's weird. I remember 2014 yeah. saying this is the worst Tottenham team I've ever seen because yeah. we didn't have any any stars in there, mm. and then. Was after Bell had left. After Bell had left, yeah. Harry Kane. I'm like, who's Harry Kane? Yeah. <laughs> Soldado was a failed yeah. thirty million pound signing. But you know, even though with cancer, my love of football was still there. It was yeah. one of those things. I'd be on my couch mm. with Sky Sports news on, mm. listening to everything about football and yeah. sports. And so my, I love sports, and so. I started to go back and watching wrestling again. You know, I yeah. grew up watching wrestling yeah, and now likewise. I've got nothing to do mm. and I'm watching wrestling. And so although I couldn't go out and be physically active, I could mm. sit at home and absorb as much of that as possible. Yeah. Okay. Um, so w- what were some of the things you would say you miss from when, from post-cancer? I mean, so pre-cancer. I think the case of just being able to just get up and mm. do whatever I want. Yeah. Um, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Everything has to be planned mm. or have a level of risk assessment to it. Yeah. So previously, if I wanted to go out for a walk or a run or just to meet up with someone, I could do that. Mm. Now it's a case of scheduling that in yeah. and on the day, be ready to cancel. Mm. So... You know, even like today, for example, yeah, it, you could have got a, a message from me saying, "Look, sorry, I can't make it." Yeah, today's not one of those days. Yeah, um, I think that's the biggest thing I miss. Just mm. that level of um, flexibility. Yeah, to just be able to to do whatever I want, whenever I yeah. want. Okay, amazing. So, uh, talk me through a bit about because um, you went through an interesting treatment process. So you started a conventional um, NHS chemo treatment yep. and then you diverted into something else, didn't you? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I had a year of NHS treatment, mm-hmm. 18 cycles of chemo surgery, mm-hmm. but the cancer kept growing. Yeah. And so a year later, December 2015, mm-hmm. my same oncologist said, yeah. there's nothing else we can do for you. The cancer's growing. And that's how they say it to you directly. There's nothing else we can do. Well, or, or in other words, <laughs> I went in, I sat mm. down and he said, it's bad news. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay. He said, it's bad news. Mm. Assuming I didn't hear. Yeah. And I said, okay. Mm. He said, it's bad news. Three times. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like I get it. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. I was so calm. I was so relaxed mm. in that particular consult because I knew it could either go two ways. It could be great news. It could be bad news. Mm-hmm. It was bad news and it was the chemo's not working, the cancer's growing, there's nothing else we can do mm. for you. He was up front. And I was like, okay, mm. what can we do? Mm. <laughs> so the guys just told me there's nothing else we can do. And I'm like, so what can we do? Yeah, there must be an alternative. Yeah. And I was lucky because um, of the biology of my cancer. Mm. I've got something called Lynch syndrome. which is a genetic mutation. And people with Lynch syndrome are are high risk of developing bowel cancer. And women, there's the additional gynecological cancers. 
because I've got Lynch syndrome, there was a new kind of treatment called immunotherapy that works really well. Yeah. Um, my oncologist told me about that. Oh, okay, so that's how you discovered it. Yeah. yeah, he said, there is immunotherapy, but the problem is it's not on the NHS. Mm. So he said, we'll put in a funding request for it, but we'll also forward you to a research centre with a view to get you on a clinical trial. Okay. So that was when I was looking at immunotherapy for the first time because previously I had no idea what it was, yeah. how it worked. So I left that consult with a bit of hope. Mm. But the, the challenge was how do we get it? Yeah. And so January, February, March, it was waiting for a decision on the funding. Are you still going through treatment during this period or no. you completely stopped the chemo? There was, there was no treatment. Mm. So the cancer left unattended would carry on growing. Oh, wow, yeah. So I kept chasing up the research mm. place for immunotherapy. Mm. They couldn't offer me that because to qualify for a research trial, mm. you need to meet certain objectives. And, and the trials okay. were looking for new patients with You're no treatment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but they could offer me a different trial which wasn't immunotherapy. They were like, let's put you on this while we wait. Mm. But I carried on growing. Cancer carried on growing regardless. Yeah. So they took me off that straight away because mm. they did a scan at the start and then eight weeks later did another scan. Mm. Didn't have any impact. The NHS said no. Mm. Three months later and the trials were saying no. And the drug companies also said no. So, have you have you, have you put through requests to these guys? Yes. All the time, yeah. Yeah. So they know that this treatment can potentially save your life and help you, and you're putting through applications, and they just sort of kind of knocking it all back. Absolutely. No. Yeah. yeah. The NHS said that they just said it's not something they're gonna even look at. Oh wow. Um, they said it's not an individual treatment request. There's a cohort of people with your similar. Oh, okay. So we're not even going to look at it. The drug companies, they call it compassionate use requests. We put in those applications and they came back negative and they said the, the drug is on the market. Mm. If you can fund it, you can have access to it. Yeah. But then the problem was when I asked about funding, I was told you need to be a millionaire. Oh, gosh. Yeah. At one point, I was told each session, each cycle can cost twenty thousand. And how many cycles would one need? Probably one a month, oh, like wow. or two a month. Yeah. Like this was when I was doing the research, and so twenty thousand every month. You oh, do the maths. Yeah. For a year or two years, it was just, it was just like, yeah, yeah crazy numbers we're talking, yeah. but. A friend of mine said, let's fundraise. Mm. And I was in no place to do do that. I'm like, what do you mean fundraise? Yeah. And he, his name's Rue, mm. and he wasn't taking no for an answer. Yeah. So <laughs> he was like, let's meet up. Mm. And I said to him, I'll fundraise for a cause, mm. um, a good cause in my name. And he said, no, I care about you. Wait, so, so let me clarify this. So at this moment in time, you're willing to fundraise for others but not directly for your own treatment. That's right. Mm. Um, I, you know, like I, I've always wanted to help people mm. and 
kids I have an affinity for orphans and mm. uh, or street kids and I said let's do let's raise money for mm. for kids and he was like no I care about you mm. <laughs> if I if we can save you your vision gets bigger yeah and and that got me really thinking about fundraising for myself because mm. I was in no place to do so because asking for money yeah is is hard asking money for yourself is even harder mm. and so I had to get myself into a place to do so so you know earlier we we're talking about mindset yeah at this point I was at the lowest I would I wouldn't even go out I stopped communicating um with people I had cancelled um cancelled appointments yeah. and I just like sitting at home in my like with not even changing or showering mm. or shaving it was just I was just I didn't even know what I was watching on TV yeah. you know like proper depressive state that's how bad it was um but then I had to find a way to had you given up at this stage you thought I mean there's there's nothing else you can do you've kind of been served your death sentence and the only way out of it if is if you had all these funds to yeah, yeah that, I mean treatment. yeah it was I'd almost lost hope mm. um cuz you know in terms of numbers we were looking at around 200,000 wow. and I was in no place to go out and beg for my life mm. I just wasn't ready for it. I I had um from a spiritual perspective from an Islamic background I spoke to a, an imam mm. and I asked what his opinion was and he said you have a duty to seek treatment. Yeah. Um the teachings of Prophet Muhammad mm -hmm. was you know you go out there and find treatment yeah. <laughs> and so he said if this if there's a drug out there that's yeah. showing promise that's showing hope yeah you have then a duty to find it mm. so i had that i had my friend saying look let's go out and fundraise i had my family ready to help mm. um everyone was ready but it all depended on me yeah. saying let's do this because you have to forefront it wouldn't you yeah, yeah. But what, what happened was I was going through my calendar and a, on my phone a notification popped up. Mm. An appointment with Roberta, a friend of mine who was coming over from Brazil. Okay. And I remember thinking this might be, I might never see her again. Because, mm. <laughs> and that's real. Like yeah. the cancer's growing. I may never see her again because she lives in Brazil and she was just coming over. So I made an effort. I had a shower, I had a shave, mm. and I went out to meet meet her. And then while I'm meeting her, one of my other friends, David, who lived in Dubai at the time, yeah. made a detour because he was coming to England, going north. And because Roberta was coming to London to meet with me, mm. he thought he would join us. So I had no idea yeah. at this point. And they know what you were going through at this point. Yeah, they, they knew exactly what I was going through. Yeah going through and we connected at uni mm. and all three of us together we'd only previously met once probably in the last 10 years yeah. we'd met independently yeah. and so that day just really changed things when mm. dave joined us i was like wow um and i just remembered all the little things again you know mm. like one day at a time and initially when cancer came I began noticing all those little things and 
going through my darkest moments, I'd yeah. forgotten those. Yeah. And that kindness was was there. Yeah. And so I just tapped into that. So you you were saying um, when you met your friends that kind of rejuvenated and it, it kind of reboosted your energy in terms of like you getting out there and yeah, it just reminded me like going. it just yeah. just reminded me of how much love yeah. out there there is. Mm. And then the next day, my previous personal trainer Ali got in touch and said, "Mo, do you want to meet?" Mm. And I was like, "Yeah, why not?" And yeah. You know, he treated me to pizza yeah. <laughs> when I was training. Yeah. Pizza was not on the menu, it was a no-go, yeah. but here he was. And mm. then he was like, do you want to step into the gym? Mm. And he took me to the old gym and they'd redone it. And mm. um, there was a song playing Bastille Pompeii. Okay. Yeah. And I saw people working out. There were new machines. And I was like, you know, that, that feel mm. good, those feel good feelings you yeah. get and you know going to the gym i would get those Mm. and the music was playing and i'm like ali i'm gonna step onto one of these treadmills Mm. one day soon and then the next day i met up with rue in his in his house and a couple of other friends were there and we were like let's let's look at this fundraising how are we going to do this and it was at that point i said let's do this and there was an elephant in the room yeah. <laughs> when I said, yeah, we need 200,000. <laughs> well, at this moment, you haven't, did, you, did they know the amount that you required for the treatment? Or you kind of kept that? I told them in that session, oh, okay. in that meeting, yeah. they were like, so how much do we need? Mm. And 200,000. And you know, like, yeah. you could hear a pin, <laughs> yeah. pin drop. Well, that's yeah. how I recall it. Mm. It's a um, sum of money. Yeah. It was a case of, do we raise 50,000 first? or you know chunk it down or do we go go for the whole lot there's just four or five of us mm. you know how do we raise this money like yeah and it was kind of like let's just just put it out there and mm. do the best we possibly can mm. and at that stage there were like spreadsheets different people <laughs> to contact yeah. different organizations you know we needed a campaign name mm. We just was a campaigning. So we came up with different ideas, yeah. and the one that stuck was keeping hope. Oh, okay, amazing. Because that's literally what it was. Is Keep... it still running right now? The campaign? No, it's not. Oh, okay. um, it was keeping hope, and then keeping hope for Mo. Yeah. Because um, that's all we had was hope, mm. and there were a number of action steps from that day, mm. like set up a just giving page yeah. set up a facebook page make a list of people to contact all those yeah. kind of things and i did it yeah, amazing. and then it was nerve-wracking probably one of the scariest things i've ever had to do was you're kind of putting yourself out there in it at that particular time you know kind of making yourself vulnerable to the world and telling your story to perhaps people that you're trying to hold it from initially so I could imagine how that feels like yeah I mean yeah. people already knew about my cancer I wasn't oh, okay. secret about yeah. about the cancer but yeah. it's a new level of yeah I'm dying here and I need your help yeah yeah mm. and and I had to get myself into the mm. space of accepting that help of receiving that 
of asking asking for it because you know like during the cancer i asked for different kinds of help mm. can you take me shopping or can yeah. you take me for my appointment or can you come and meet me as opposed to me going out it's, but this was asking for money mm. and i remember it was a wednesday morning everything was ready and i just had to go live <laughs> press the button press yeah. the button yeah. on just giving because you know they have to vet it mm. they have to make sure it's a legitimate whatever i don't know how they did that back then i went live and then likewise on facebook because mm. not a lot of people knew i was about to do this my inner circle if yeah. you like did my friends and family and they were like ready just let us know when mm. and then i went live and then yeah, it was just what happened next just completely yeah, still feels like a blur. Yeah. Um, I haven't fully absorbed it. And, and how much was you able to raise? And what was the time frame for that? So the target was 200,000. Yeah. We raised 60,000 within the first month. Amazing. And we raised 100,000 within the second month. Wow. We had it, and that was enough to begin the treatment. Yeah. And so that's what we did. We began the treatment while the fundraising carried on. Mm. So to, in total, we raised 190, wow. £190,000. And I had a year of the medication. Mm. And we saw, we saw the benefit with, within the first three months mm. where the tumours reduced and stabilised. Yeah. And that was the first time in a long time yeah. where the scan results were good because previously it was, it's growing, it's yeah. growing, it's growing. And did you feel the physical changes as well through yeah. the treatment? Yeah. Initially, there was a boost in energy. Oh, okay. I began driving again. I began going to the gym again. Oh, amazing. After how long though? After how many treatments was this? Um, so the first... It was a cycle every three weeks. Yeah. So I had four sessions. Yeah. So within three or four sessions, oh, wow. I was back. <laughs> you know, I said to my trainer, Ali, yeah. I'm going to go back on these. Yeah. And I was, I was, I was on there and it was just amazing. Yeah. Um, I had that boost in energy. The tumors were reducing mm -hmm. and I was out there campaigning. I was being invited to give talks mm. and it was just it was just it was just a surreal yeah. period because I was being stopped in the streets. Are people recognizing you? So? Yeah, yeah, like in in my local area, mm. people were stopping me. Even places that weren't local to me, like East London, is, yeah. isn't my. But my campaign had spread in the in the community, mm. and so I was in East London and. Are you the brother with cancer? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the way you're putting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. The, the way people asked was different. Mm. Are you the guy with cancer? Yeah. Are you the guy fundraising? Yeah. Probably one of the sweetest um, was it, I, I took my nephew to, I picked him up one day after school and mm. took him to the playground because the sun was out. Mm. And another school kid in a school uniform cycling mm. stops. And his way of asking was, are you the guy who's not, are you the person who's ill? Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, 
And he was probably year seven or year eight. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And he was like, I've been waiting to bump into you because oh, wow. I want to know how you're doing. Yeah. And also to have a selfie. No way. <laughs> so he, celebrity now. He took it, he took it, he got out a phone and took a picture. And I'm like, you know, like, yeah. I was just so touched that people not only donate and mm. shared my story, but they actually follow up and want to know. Yeah how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's actually amazing you're telling the story in, re in relations to how people reacted to you, um, particularly when you had cancer, and also how the community reacted in relations to helping you out yeah. and, and, and giving their money and their time and support yeah. and well wishes. Because nowadays we live in a world whereby everyone always are under the assumption that everyone is evil. Everyone outside of their <laughs> box is evil, but there is a humanitarian and a, and, a, and, a, and a human side to it that when people are down and out, people are willing to help. People are genuinely willing to help. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it brings tears to my eyes. Mm. Um, like, the stories mm. just so polarised. Like, yeah. my local pharmacy, they were, they had a collection box. Mm. I didn't know about it. Mm. Um, lots of places were doing collections yeah. for me. And then one day I go in to give them an update in terms of how I'm, mm. how my scans are and they had an update for me. Mm. They said there was a homeless woman who walked in mm. who either wanted painkillers or money for a cup of coffee or yeah. I don't know what it was. And she read my story on the counter because, you know, I had posters and flyers yeah. and leaflets, all that kind of stuff. And they had it on their counter. Mm. And she read it, put her hands in her pockets mm. and left a few coins on the, oh, the wow. desk. That's amazing. And the pharmacist said, you keep, you keep your coins. Mm. I'll put that in the box for you. Yeah. But the woman said, no, it has to be my coins. Yeah. And I'm hearing this story mm. and like not know what to make of it. I, I don't know her name. I don't know what she looks like. Mm. I don't know who she is. And she has no idea mm. who I am. And someone I would have judged to have have nothing yeah. just gave whatever she had that day. Mm. And just kind of like overwhelmed, like stories like that. Mm. And complete strangers in another part of the world. Um, another story, New Zealand. I woke up, it was August. I started my campaign in April, mm. end of April twenty. 16 yeah. August I get a message on Facebook saying hi Mo my name's Alex mm. me and my girlfriend Stephanie are you know we saw your story and we want to help we're going to do a, a 50 day cycle tr wow. cycle ride in from the south of New Zealand to the very north yeah. and initially I'm like why would you do this you don't even know me <laughs> who yeah. are you yeah. and we exchanged messages mm. and they, they raised money for uh, they raised almost five thousand pounds yeah. and and like the stories are just like another another story a, a, the daughter of another because I was being invited to talk at events and mosques and yeah. community events the daughter of a, a guy I met at a mosque mm she decided to raise money at her mm. Saturday school. So she'd go in and raise money and mm. they came and dropped that off to me. Yeah. 
and it was I think it was a couple of hundred pounds mm. and like so from kids to random people in New Zealand who are now friends yeah. <laughs> um, they're back in England and I've and I've met up with met up with Alex um, oh, you actually met him? I met yeah. him yeah. twice we went to a football match yeah. um, together Tottenham Chelsea yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just like so what you were saying you know, we see all the all the all the stuff in the news where you know there's a lot of hate yeah. and crime and people seem not to care in this brexit climate yeah. you know 2016 the word brexit hadn't been coined i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i was just waiting in the... <laughs> yeah um and and here through my story there are hundreds thousands of people who i don't even know mm. who who want to be part of my story whether that's sharing my story or whether that's donating and and i feel a sense of responsibility like i'm i'm blessed that i've had this support that there was a treatment that i could access because mm. there's no guarantees that the medication would work yeah. so they it was kind of like a leap of faith mm. in in my story that you know we don't know if this drug is going to work or not mm. there was a good chance it would yeah that's why my and, and that was was they, so they, so to cut you off so they, the chance they would work was that strictly based on the particular cancer it was in your own personal biology yeah. exactly yeah. the genetics yeah. were good there was a 70 to 80 percent response rate yeah for this medication for my biology so it's not a medication that just anyone with cancer can take yeah it just absolutely on the, the, the the form of cancer because it varies there's so many different forms of cancer everyone's body functions in a different type of way so it, it's, it's all like a perfect match yeah. spot on yeah. you know there are like 200 types mm. four different stages different yeah. grades throw in the person's biology their environment mm. all that kind of stuff makes a difference mm. and so where they've done the studies on mm. my kind it's a 70 to 80% response rate. Yeah. And so th it was an overwhelming support from my oncologists. Mm. I didn't stop at one oncologist. I got a second opinion. I, yeah. I called up doctors in America. Yeah. I tried to find as much information. I read the, mm. the research papers as well. I think it was the Boston Medical oh, Journal. Yeah. Um, and... And as the data suggests, I responded well to it. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, you, you, you mentioned that with, with the overwhelming compassion from strangers and people across the whole world, you felt a sense of responsibility and you felt a sense of having to now give back. Is that, yeah. is, is that where the book comes from, choosing to stay? Yeah, so I felt there's a book in me mm. for about 10 years now. Okay. <laughs> But yeah. I didn't feel it was going to be this book because mm. <laughs> um, initially I was working with young people mm. in, in, in personal development, mm. trying to help them become leaders or change agents in a university setting. Yeah. So the book I thought I was going to write was going to be aimed at students. Mm. And so when cancer came along, I've always liked writing. I was blogging. So I always thought there was going to be a book in me. Mm. I didn't quite know what that book was going to be. Um, I wanted to help people use my... So I wanted to give back to the cancer community using my story. And I wasn't quite sure how to, to do so. Mm. So the book came in... Yeah. 
came in at that point. I think it was, it was 2016, shortly after I began fundraising. My story had got out there. So many people got in touch. I had a number of uh, media opportunities Mm -hmm. from local media to national media, TV, TED. TEDx, TEDx Kingston, where you discovered me. So writing a book felt natural. Mm. Um, And I I was still figuring out how I wanted to get the story out there because I wasn't sure how the book was going to end because I'm going through treatment at this point. And and there was no guarantees how long I was going to live and... Mm. And so the book was kind of like in twofold. One, I want to tell my story. Mm. And two, it was kind of like for my nephews yeah. because they're, they're young and I, and I had no idea how long I was going to live for. Mm. So I wanted to document as much of my story as possible so they could read mm. my story later on in life and get a feel for who their uncle was. Yeah. Yet at the same time, have my story out there be relevant to other people going through not necessarily a cancer challenge but a life challenge um because you know my book i'll yeah pick it yeah of course and you know get get a spiel yeah into the camera (laughs) i'm gonna put all the details in relation to the book uh, in the descriptions anyway it's called choosing to stay how cancer gave me my life back Mm. and it's in two parts where the first part I, I document all the choices I made yeah. and I tell my story through those choices because even though it's a stage four diagnosis and even though at one point it was terminal, mm. I always had a choice mm. in, in how I respond mm. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And if, if I had no choice, it feels like there's no freedom. <laughs> and so I want to get across in the book that no matter your pain, no matter the suffering, in the moment there's a choice yeah. in how you respond and how you live with that information. Yeah. And that's in relation to anything in life, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so I try to get that across because I, I was lucky with <laughs> that the mm. treatment worked. There's a chance it wouldn't have worked but my choice was I'm gonna do the best I possibly can Mm. and go out there and try to raise the money and there was a chance that we weren't gonna raise nowhere near enough Mm. because you know the two polarities one someone comes in and says here's a 200,000 or you don't raise any couple of pounds from a couple of people and then that's it yeah Yeah, I knew my family would chip in yeah we we (laughs) might we might raise a few hundred pounds um but the choice was Mm. to go out there and do the best I possibly can and in through that raise awareness maybe Mm -hmm. um to to share the story yeah when you talk about awareness what is it you're trying to raise awareness to is that is that the fight to keep going or is that the actual medical um the, the yeah medical so yourself so you know when when you when you go through the, a cancer story you mm. pick up on certain nuances and, mm. and you've mentioned the fight mm. and it's not a word that everyone feels comfortable with yeah because 
you know, how it's reported in the media and headlines when someone dies of cancer. Often, most times you'll read, this person has lost, lost the battle, yeah, lost the, battle, the fight. Yeah. But mm. it's not a fight <laughs> mm. in, in those kind of terms. There are fights along the way, like, you know, fight to get access to the drug, yeah. you know, the NHS, the drug companies, you know, there's a campaign wanting to get drugs accessible, not only for cancer patients, but for other illnesses where a drug company just puts the price up. That is ridiculous. Y yeah. You hear of those stories all the time. Yeah. So, you know, there are fights, if you like, on those fronts mm. and in day to day is a struggle. Mm. Um, so I just thought I'd share that in terms of, you know, it's not always necessarily that language can play, isn't always What language would you use? What language would, would I use? Mm. Um, so, uh, so instead of a fight, so if you, if you would have had the, the news articles or, um, the publications yeah. remove the word fight. So if someone passes away from cancer, how would we, yeah. Just that. Passes away, yeah. Person has, yeah. has died. Because <laughs> death is a death, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there's, there's one interesting thing that you mentioned and um, that I would just like to touch on. So when, whenever you're given sort of the, the death sentence and they, they always tend to say, okay, it's, it's terminal. So when they say it's terminal, in your case, they said it was terminal, but it wasn't terminal. So, are they termin are they terminating it based on your your ability to afford a treatment that can potentially keep you alive? That that is something I, f I find slightly unsettling because it's people are getting handed these supposed death sentences when there are potential treatments out there. So, is that a case of um, lack of funding, or what is it that causes this? It's it's a great question. Yeah. Um, because when you look up the technical definition mm. of terminal, there's no other treatment available, yeah. I believe. I think that's what I saw when I Googled mm. terminal cancer. Mm. There's no other treatment. Um, now, with a stage four diagnosis, there are some drugs like chemo mm. that can help manage the cancer. Mm. So they call it disease management. As long as the mm. cancer works your cancer's under control. We can yeah. put you on cancer and then, sorry, we can put you on chemo mm. and then we can give you a break. Mm. But it's maintenance. It's a maintenance drug. So it's terminal in the sense your cancer's not going to go away, mm. but as long as the medication is working, okay. we can extend your life, okay. right? But then there's terminal in the sense there's no other drugs available to even maintain yeah. maintain your life mm -hmm. and then the conversations will be around palliative care mm. um, now for me I was in a situation where there's a drug out there mm. but we can't give it to you because, because of the money, money yeah. um, because the NHS hasn't approved it mm. for use now for a drug to get NHS approval, it needs to go through a number of procedures. Now, immunotherapy is is the modality of the drug that I had. Mm. It's still in its infancy in drug development. Now, for a drug to 
be developed it can take over 10 years well, what's the success rate of the, the drug though and the treatment for my kind of cancer yeah you're looking at 70, 70 to 80% yeah. that should be high enough for it to be approved shouldn't it considering um, yeah so for, for a drug to get approved mm. it needs to go through four phases okay initially it will be tested in labs on animals and mm. animal testing maybe yeah. and then at first phase one would be humans mm. for the first time and then phase two if it's shown to work on mm. humans what the correct dosage is oh, okay. and then mm. testing mm. further testing and then then they do a calculation in terms of the cost benefit mm. okay what the cost of the drug is to the value in terms of how many months addition it gives to a, a certain person's yeah. life and they will so need to make this. Is, is it worth them spending 200,000 to add two months onto someone's life? To put it raw. <laughs> uh, yes. Know. You know, the yeah. price on life, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? Mm. And so they need to look at a certain number of data yeah. for that. And you're a data analyst, mm-hmm. right? They need to look into it. And if the data isn't there, they won't make... Mm-hmm. Now, my oncologists who see the data mm-hmm. with the trials are like, it's it, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. We know it works for these patient population. Mm-hmm. Give them the drug. Mm-hmm. Like that's from a from an oncology perspective. Yeah. Yet, mm-hmm. from the funding, it's it's a game. Yeah, the drug really companies is. need to make as much money as they can mm-hmm. from the investment that they put in. It could be a billion Mm. to develop a drug. And then out of 100 drugs, maybe 5% make it. Yeah. So they need to offset the cost for the other 90-odd percent. That's such a tricky game. (laughs) And then then it's the politics. Because a drug available in America, a Mm. drug available in the UK a drug available in China. Mm. So the drug company will target different markets yeah. and will have different pricing strategies. And mm. so it's a different machine. So mm. China are developing, I say China, companies mm. based in China are developing immunotherapies. So the drug I've got mm. is, is an American company. Now for them to enter the Chinese market, mm. to undercut the other market, they will offer mm. it at a discount. Yeah. And so it's, it's horrible because there I am, someone who mm-hmm. can benefit from this drug and I'm not the only one. There are mm-hmm. many others out there in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. And we're like pawns yeah. in this game. Yeah. And yeah. And that's the terrible aspect of the whole um, pharmaceutical and drug industry. Yeah. Yeah, because there's more to it than just saving lives, is it? There's there's politics, there's a mega business behind it, which is yeah. near enough an uncontrollable machine. So we're kind of like, we're kind of the pawns in, 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 the, in the whole game, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to knock mm. the, the pharmaceutical mm. industry because it's not, it's not clear cut. I've, yeah. I've met people who work in pharma and... Mm. They're some of the nicest people around in terms of they work on drug safety. They work on making, like, they dedicate their lives in drug development to save people's lives. Mm. And and they have no say in 
the pricing. Yeah. That's on a marketing level. That's mm. on a CEO board level mm. in terms of trying to make those. So, it, so people in pharma might mm. take offense and that's not what I'm trying to yeah, do. Fair enough, and, yeah. you know, the scientists and the doctors who put, dedicate their lives mm. They want these drugs to go out there to mm. patients for benefit, and so. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been under the the, the thought that they the people on the ground actually making the medicine they're in it for the good. Absolutely, they, they have to be in it for the good in order for them to want to get into that line of work and be yeah. doing research for God knows how many years they do yeah. in order to um, lengthen human life in order to heal people. But then with with most things, there comes the business aspects of yeah. things as well, where money has to be made. So on the corporate side, it's like there's a battle between yep. <laughs> not good and evil as such, but there's a battle that's going on whereby the business side needs to make sense. And then the guys on the medical end are also trying to develop mm-hmm. stuff to better and enhance human experience. So yep. it's such a tricky um, field to be in and a field to look at. Um, uh, can I ask a personal question? So in relate, when you were going through the treatment and um, you were diagnosed with cancer and so forth, did you, think about death and what was your relationship with the idea of of death yeah so right from the start um and i said every i don't think there's a day that goes by Mm. that i've not thought about death yeah you know when my head hits the pillow Mm. each day at night i i don't know if i'm going to wake up Mm. the next morning so that's a real Mm. life daily conversation in my head um i felt close to death Mm. um emotionally charged in the early stages Mm. of the diagnosis because you know stage four the chances of are slim yeah um and so i i do get comforted by you know certain certain lit quotes and certain mm. literature out there one is by Rumi okay. um, which I remind myself a lot I mean, his yeah. words were when I die to the body I shall soar with the angels mm. and when I die to the angels what I shall become you can't imagine yeah. and when I read that I for the first time I just I felt goosebumps. Mm. And so I remind myself, you know, like I might die to the body, mm. but that's not the end of me. Yeah. You know, my soul, you know, I don't know what will happen to mm. me, but I believe, you know, the soul lives, lives on. on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, death also kind of the idea of, dying is real (laughs) you know i know there are people out there working on some top secret trying to stay alive forever you know (laughs) apparently apparently all the mega billionaires are are kind of working on what they're doing a lot of like blood transfusion and all these weird conspiracy theories out there that they're just trying to live forever yeah Yeah, you know so you hear of you know people are working on it but Mm. so far you know death Mm. is something that will happen to to all of us yeah i don't think they've found a way to keep the human body alive um but it's it's one of those things where it stops you from wasting time (laughs) and so you know writing the book it was a case of i don't know i might die so Mm. let me try and get this book done Mm. and and 
make the best effort possible but it also in touch with you know life is short you don't know what's going to happen and and whether you've got an illness or you don't we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and so that idea you know I, 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 I write in my book I'm, I may have breathed closer to death mm. than ever before but I've not felt more alive yeah. than ever before either. And so it's kind of like a paradox. Yeah. Th- does, um, the, does the idea of being close to death then makes you appreciate and live life more to the fullest? Because you know there's something that you could have potentially lost. Yeah. I mean, at times it's scary. Mm. Um, I, initially, it freaked me out. Mm. The idea that I'm here right now. Mm. In this world, and I know friends, family, different people who know me, and then I might die, yet all these people will carry on living without me here. Mm. And that idea f- kind of freaked me out initially. Mm. <laughs> um, but the more I, I carry on mm. living, um, the more it's a case of, you know, I don't know previously I'd I'd have 10 year plans yeah <laughs> you know like at work you have a five year strategy and mm. you might have a personal plan by the time I'm 40 I mm. want a family I want a house I want this I want that but that goes out the window for me now mm. um this year 2019 was probably the first time in my life I had no goals wow. even with cancer I mm. had short-term goals in terms of get through chemo, yeah. get through surgery, raise money, mm. um, you know, write a book even. But 2019, it was a case of I have, n- I have no goals for the year. Wow. And, and it's just like real short-term scan to scan. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's just like... No, completely good. Yeah, um, yeah there is a sense of urgency about mm. if there's something important to say or do mm. have those conversations have yeah. those you know yeah. just make time to do those things that Definitely. are important and it's, it's actually one of the reasons why i wanted you on here as well because i, I feel like one of the things that we tend to leave out is that what w- when we're alive and when we're healthy we tend to not be grateful for the things that we have around us we tend to not have the motivation and the push to try and achieve things that we set out to achieve mm-hmm. but the moment a, a spanner is thrown into the works for instance then as you said there's a kick in the backside and then we have that urgency to then go ahead and fight for what we want but ideally we should have that level of energy <laughs> throughout in an ideal world and those that do have it um, without necessarily having to have a, a terminal illness, mm-hmm. you tend to find yourself achieving more in doing so. Yeah. So it should serve as a daily motivation that we should be like grateful and we should be continuously like fueled up to to do and achieve the things that we set out to achieve. Because you potentially could have not, not written this book had it not been for what you had gone through. So, but now yeah. you've, you've, you can finally say that you've achieved one of your major goals and you've got a pretty model picture on there of you posing for the cover of your book which is amazing in itself so yeah a few yeah. people have said like you could launch my modeling career yeah. <laughs> you could have launched your modeling career for that so that could have been another stepping yeah. stone um so one thing i was going to ask you as well is uh, so if there was one big lesson you'd like people to take from your journey what would that be wow 
Just one big lesson. One big I, lesson. I know there's loads, but yeah. One big lesson is there's so much love out there mm. that you don't need to be alone yeah. in your pain. You don't need to be alone in your suffering. You can ask for help. Amazing. Because people mm. want to help. Yeah. Um, so the one lesson there is that there's so much love out there. Yeah. Yeah. We should stop paying attention to well not 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 paying attention to it. But what I feel is that the the negative always tends to have the larger voice, whether they're the minority or not. And most of the time they tend to be the minority, but because they have the larger voice, we tend to assume that everything else and anyone else is negative. When really and truly if humans are willing to help each other when, yeah. when called for. Yeah. I, and I I think I don't know how much time we have, but yeah. we've got uh, as much time as you like. Yeah. I think just with cancer mm. in the past four years I've, I've had a lot of time I've spent alone mm. with myself and so what one of the things I've distinguished is being alone mm. is very different from being lonely yeah and so although I said in my lesson you don't need to be alone mm. I guess the word is you don't need to be lonely, lonely. Yeah. in your pain and your suffering mm. and what being alone has allowed me to do is just ponder on different thoughts and different mm. things that are going on in the world and and that negativity i think it's prime primordial we want to know what's negative yeah out of yeah a fear mm -hmm. of wanting to be okay yeah and so that negative emotion sells headlines it sells yeah. stories and yeah. so the news That's is newspapers were established yeah it just yeah. it sells mm. unfortunately and it sells on attention mm. so we turn on a news channel is a guaranteed way of feeling crap yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like if i'm if if, yeah. if if you want to feel crap right now yeah. the best way is to turn on a news channel because mm. You're going to get angry at what a politician said or mm. didn't say or didn't do at crime or whatever it is. And so, unfortunately, these stories of love and of good, mm. you know, they'll be reduced to like a five minute segment at the end. Yeah. Here's a feel good it's story. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've been on I've been on on ITV London News mm. and, and I've been on there twice mm. now. And, you know, we do have these good stories on there, um, but not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah, we definitely need more of that. And that's actually one of the aims of my podcast. Amazing. And, yeah, one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to put informative, educational, and just good content out there that people can sort of feed from and, and try and enrich them, them their own lives in essence. So we try not to focus too much on the bad end of the stuff but mm -hmm. and if we do focus on the bad end it's about how someone overcame absolutely a, an adversity like yourself so we need more of these stories to really realize that there's there's more good out there than mm -hmm. there is bad but because the focus and the and, and the, the our eyes and our minds are so much into the negative we kind of get overcome by it yep. we assume that the whole world is bad and yeah it, it's what's causing a lot of some of the political issues and, and strife that we're having in the world today because we've been fed all of the bad stuff and all of the good stuff gets brushed to the side which is yeah not ideal and not what we should be focusing on as as um, as the primary source of information. Um, how how has this journey shaped you, as a as a person? How do you think it shaped you? Um, has it has it changed you massively, or you've always been this individual? 
I think it's it's helped me grow in in ways of being more what's the word like be more confident yeah and be more vocal yeah and get out there mm-hmm. so previously I'd have ideas yeah and I wouldn't I wouldn't know if I should share it or I mm. shouldn't share it or and so I feel the fundraising is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Yeah. Um, harder than the cancer. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> what was so hard about it? Was it the, the it fact was, that you had to put yourself out there? It was scary. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a case of... The, the goal mm. or the target was enormous. Yeah. Um, and I guess the worst thing that would have happened was we don't raise the money the cancer spreads mm. and I die yeah. um, that was like a script <laughs> that mm. could have been one of the outcomes but it was just scary in terms of you know putting yourself out there mm. to the world and be vulnerable yeah because um, rejection hurts <laughs> whether it's you know for a job mm. relationship I yeah. don't know what other forms, you know, like... Um, but this must be the ultimate rejection, though, because this is the rejection of your life and your, yeah. your potential to stay alive. So that must be really daunting in itself. It was. Um, but then going through it, you know, to be able to now mm. put out other stuff mm. and come on, you know, podcasts mm. and be invited to give talks... Mm whether it's five minutes or, you know, the longest talk I gave was 45 minutes. Um, And so it shaped me to be more vocal Mm. and, and, you know, be confident in, in doing so. And and I'm sure the feedback helps as well in in regards to. uh, Absolutely. Inspiring others as well. Yeah. It helps boost that self-confidence to carry on. Yeah. So what what keeps you going? Like, what's the day to day motivation that keeps you going now? Great question. Yeah. Um, it's it's learning all the time. Mm. Um, I wake up and you, you, when you look at me, you won't know, mm. but I still have a number of challenges on a physical yeah. plane, like arthritis mm. and colitis which I have no medication for at the moment. And What's colitis, if you don't mind asking? It's, so for surgery, they mm. took out most of my colon. Mm. Um, I have a stoma, mm. so uh, which is a bag that oh, collects yeah. uh, my poo. Mm. But I have a chunk of rectum left. Mm. But that's not connected to my any other organ. Yeah. So after surgery, I had no need to go to the toilet the old way oh, <laughs> or the yeah. usual way yeah. but then after my immunotherapy stopped all of a sudden I needed to go to the toilet mm. which was weird because yeah something you hadn't done for a while yeah yeah mm. but how is that even physically possible because my 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 waist comes out of a bag mm. there's nothing connected to the rectum yeah. so colitis is where there's an inflammation and it starts 
producing waste like mucus and blood and okay. liquid and yeah. the gory details yeah. and so now every day i can talk about poo and colitis yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. which which yeah. isn't something you'd normally yeah. expect to have a conversation about yeah. but that gives me challenges in terms of incontinence mm. so you know any moment now mm. where where's your toilet for example yeah, yeah. i need to rush and so and the arthritis, the joints, you know, I'd heard of arthritis before, but I never knew how bad it can yeah. be from opening a bottle mm. to putting on my coat to yeah. taking a step. There have been times where I've been outside and my knees have just locked. Oh. Both knees have locked and I can't walk. You'd have to stand still for a Stand still or yeah. try to, to walk from my hip like a, mm. like a zombie, if you like. Mm. And um, So day-to-day motivation is kind of still take one day at a time yeah. and do the best I possibly can. So I have people who contact me for advice and help. And so I will, I will do so. I, I write, yeah. um, I'm looking to set up my own podcast. Yeah. I'm willing to help. So yeah. Also we'll take, take that, yeah. take that help. Yeah. Um, and you know, I work, um, as a supporter of different charities. Mm-hmm. So Bowel Cancer UK yeah. is one of those I do, you know, bits and pieces with. Um, they had a December beard campaign. Okay. Um, and I did a Was photo. Grow a beard or get rid of your beard? Grow a beard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so they called me up, you know, like my modeling career. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they called, called me in for a photo shoot and I was yeah. like the face of December beard. Oh, amazing. And did some radio well, you had stuff. it longer than you have it now. That is about about the same size, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. The, what month are we in now? March. We're in March now. April yeah. is is bowel cancer awareness month. Mm. So I'll be doing a bunch of stuff for that. Oh, amazing. Um, so a few videos of my own to just raise awareness. Mm. Um, so yeah, like as I say, it's one day at a time, yeah. one scan at a time. And, you know, to, to be of value with my knowledge and, mm. and experience where I can. motivation in itself, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's amazing when, because there's different types of motivation, because obviously your motivation is, is the, the, the fact that you're, you're, you're staying alive, you're staying strong and you're, you're motivating others through your, your story. Because, I mean, e- even taking a basic motivation for me, for instance, just on a day-to-day to be able to get up and set up my podcast becomes an issue. Yeah. So... Uh, at the moment, I, I, I struggle with it in terms of like the self-motivation to get up there, to contact people, to do the research and to prepare myself for it. And what I do on a day-to-day now is I realise that I get really driven by videos. So I get really driven by other people's stories. So yep. even watching your TED Talk, for instance, that, that, that roused me up to now be like, okay, I'm going to do this now. Yep. So I wake up, so I realise that that's what works for me. That's my form of motivation. So I wake up every day trying to find other means to keep myself going and if I don't find that daily juice I kind of get a bit deflated because I tend to have so much in my diary planned but then to get that push to get those things activated and done is really hard yep yeah and I found my thing now my thing is watching other people's stories or watching other videos amazing uh, motivational videos and so forth because I would have probably not contacted you had I not watched the video which was sent to me yeah yeah and that's the thing there's there's so much within each person mm. like what we can do mm. regardless of our our struggles yeah and if 
and sometimes it takes listening to other people's definitely stories to yeah. to tap into a bit of our own most definitely yeah because yeah. it's hard to it's hard to self-motivate especially on a day-to-day basis with all of what's going on around us within the world and maybe it might be our employment our family lives mm-hmm. and there's so much being thrown at us all the time so to keep yourself motivated and happy and energized to keep going on is I think it's an essential. So you need to find what your motivation and what your drive mm-hmm. is yeah, to keep yourself up and going. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's fantastic that you found yours and hopefully it continues to grow and you reach more people and hopefully this podcast helps enhance your your profile and other people discover your work and so forth. Um, but what, what what's next for you now? What, what's, what, what you got up and coming? What you got planned? What have I got planned? I think it's, it's speaking. Mm. I want to get out there and share my story more yeah. and so kind of be a professional speaker yeah. if I could I guess that's my next mm. real big challenge if you like yeah. is are you taking courses and stuff then? no I'm not I'm not taking any courses organically yeah. um, my previous life personal yeah. development stuff I did a few courses on speaking oh, cool. but since you know since my whole cancer story mm. came along I've just got up and shared my story yeah. um, and I want to do more of that mm. so oh, it's that that would be you know yeah. if I if I'm allowed if I'm lucky or blessed to stay alive for another year mm. and we catch up in a year's time oh, definitely. I guess you know I would yeah. I'd, I'd love to have a lot more talks mm. on available on youtube for example yeah. so you saw the tedx one yeah i don't know how many other ones you saw of me on a stage mm. i would i would love for there to be so many more yeah oh, amazing mo it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today i mean i think your story is extremely inspirational and motivational and i hope people can take something from it anyone who's experiencing the same thing or just going through something in life and they feel like they need a boost of motivation and energy you truly are the guy for that and I hope people go and check out your book. I'm going to put all the details and information below. I'll put all your socials down as well. So anyone that would like to Amazing. meet you, anyone that would like to speak to you or have you speak to them, I'll definitely make sure that I put you in contact with them. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And as you said, hopefully in a year's time, we can sit down yep. and have another chat about the, the, the process and, and, and all your wonderful talks and all the wonderful work that you've been doing out there in the community as well. So Mo, it's a pleasure having you on here. No, it's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Anything else you'd like to say before we leave? Yeah, let, let's hold that as an intention a, a year yeah. from now to, yeah. to re- reconnect. No, definitely. <laughs> Look forward to that, definitely. Oh, that was amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs>